This audio presentation was pre-recorded and edited for brevity and clarity. Good afternoon. I'm Michael Buckley with the Bright Focus Foundation, and welcome to today's Bright Focus chat, Ask a Retina Specialist. If you're new to these chats, I'll give you a brief background. Bright Focus Foundation is a nonprofit organization that funds some of the top scientists in the world working on uh, cures and better treatments for macular degeneration and glaucoma and Alzheimer's. And what we do with today's chat uh, in our series of chats uh, is to offer you an opportunity to hear directly from some of the experts in this field, uh, learn the latest research, learn the latest best practices, have a chance to ask ask any questions. So uh, we'll be having a conversation about uh, with a, a leading retina specialist. It will go about 40 minutes, and we'll also have opportunities to, to take some of your questions. Let me tell you about today's guest. Her name is uh, Dr. Gayatri Riley. She's with the Retina Group of Washington, D.C., and she's a familiar voice, uh, been with us for, for a number of times over the years, and Dr. Riley is a retina specialist, and she's been recognized for uh, outstanding patient care and, and research and, and community service, so it's, 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 uh, it's wonderful to have you back, Dr. Riley. Thanks for having me back. It's uh, always a good time to um, have a, a conversation and always uh, happy to be back to answer as many questions as I can. Well, great. And since the title of today's chat is Ask a Retina Specialist, we'll start right there. Um, what is a retina specialist? So a retina specialist is um, an, an ophthalmologist first. So um, we've gone through uh, medical school, our uh, intern year, as well as ophthalmology training. And then beyond ophthalmology training, it's two additional years to be a retina specialist. And your retina is a very um, specific portion of the back portion of your eye that processes your light and information to send to your brain. And there's a variety of conditions that can impact the retina and things like diabetes. Uh, you might have heard of macular degeneration. Um, retinal detachments, and all of these conditions can be uh, treated surgically as well as uh, medically, and um, and that's that's basically what we what we do as a retina specialist. Great, and I think you know all of us are familiar, for better or for worse, about how our body ages and you know the wear and tear of time. I was wondering, how does the retina? age, and I guess big picture, what's the difference between, how can someone know the difference between normal aging of their eyes versus um, uh, age-related macular degeneration? So I'm really happy that you asked this question because this is a question I get from my patients a lot. And, and actually, a lot of times my patients will be like, oh, well, I'm just getting older, so this is normal. And so it, the difference between normal aging versus macular degeneration. So Aging can impact a lot of different portions of the eye. You may have heard of cataracts, which is when the lens in your eye gets cloudy. That gets, that is something that's age-related, and that can cause difficulty with driving at nighttime, driving distances, and that's typically what we think about the most when we think about just getting older and, and difficulties with seeing. And it's usually related to cataracts. Um, macular degeneration is also considered age-related, um, and, and what happens there is that your central vision un undergoes changes that um, start to have waste deposits that actually collect there that uh, in the early forms don't actually cause any trouble with your vision. Um, and so you shouldn't 
expect to have any trouble with your vision in, in the, the milder, earlier forms of macular degeneration, which makes seeing your optometrist and seeing your general ophthalmologist that much more important. Great. I know that uh, uh, the researchers at Bright Focus funds around the world um, on vision disease, they tell us this is one of the most exciting times ever for vision research, and there's a lot of exciting progress going on. Um, my, could you tell us a little bit about some of the, the new treatments uh, that are coming out and you know what we should what we should know about them? Sure. And this is one of the reasons why I enjoy working with Bright Focus is is the dedication to research. And retina is one of the fields where there's always innovations happening for um, learning learning about diseases better and improving treatments. Um, it's hard to imagine that just back in 2004 was our first treatment for wet macular degeneration, and since then, it's changed so much um, over that time. We've developed newer treatments um, that have been um, better than before in terms of improving um, visual acuity as well as decreasing the frequency of visits to the office, as we know that with macular degeneration, particularly wet macular degeneration, it's quite it, it takes a lot of toll both for the patient and family if they're coming, you know, to monthly visits and some of the each each new medication that we we've gotten as a treatment has lasted just a little bit longer to try to decrease the the frequency and burden to uh, the patient in terms of returning while still having very good efficacy and, and we're still working very well at maintaining vision. Um, so it really is an exciting time in retina for, for wet macular degeneration as there's there was just recently a new newly FDA-approved medication um, just at the end of last year uh, for wet macular degeneration. And um, we still are just starting to use it in clinical practice, you know, just as there's any new medication you want to um, see how it works and make sure that you know that there's no significant side effects and we're, we're always very careful and and um, you know sort of roll these things out uh, slowly but um, you know there's there's a newer medicine for wet macular degeneration in the form of an injection which is what patients are traditionally experience, but there's also a new treatment that is a surgical uh, treatment, which is the very first uh, surgical treatment for wet macular degeneration that we've had, where we can um, potentially decrease the need for uh, injections in the office. And that's a completely different classification of how we have ever thought about how to deliver medication to the eye. Um, so that's been very exciting for us. Well, that's great. And how should how should patients, uh, uh, you know, ask their their doctors about this? Are there any um, you know, specific product names or sort of classes of medicine that they should mention when when talking to their doctor? Sure. Um, so for wet macular degeneration, these are the, the two things that I was just um, talking about. The the new medicine is called Vibismo. It's V A B Y S M O. Um, and patients, uh, you know, can just ask their their um, treating physician about what their opinion is and have they had any experience with the medication yet. Like I said, it's just kind of up and coming now, so there's definitely um, 
just more and more information that we're all learning as physicians about the medicine. And then the the second um, medicine that uh, is the surgical uh, implant is called SUSVIMO, S-U-S-V-I-M-O, which, like I said, is is very, very new to us because um, we're just learning, you know, that we can deliver medication to the eye in a different route, um, which is in the form of a surgical implant instead of uh, an injection every every month. So, um, I, you know, it's always it's always a learning curve for both both um, physicians as well as the patients. So, I think it would be just wise to ask um, their treating doctor just you know what their opinion is on um, these newer medications. And um, appropriately, I think most of us as a retina community are are always very cautious in terms of new medicines and, and want to make sure that the, the safety is there as well as working as well as what's already been established. Great. Thank you. Um, so the, the new treatments that you mentioned, um, are those, you know, it's a very broad question here, but are those generally covered by insurance? Yes. So because they are FDA approved, um, they are covered by insurance. But now there's so many different insurances out there that traditionally um, your the the office um, from your treating physician will investigate your benefits and make sure that prior to you receiving this medicine that you would be covered um, with without any you know expected out of out-of-pocket costs. So each insurance is different, but because it is FDA approved now um, for macular degeneration as well as for diabetes, um, most insurances are covering it. But like I said, you know, it always is wise for um, each individual insurance to be, uh, you know, to, to have that double-checked and make sure that it's covered first since it is a newer medicine. But so far, so good. Um, the the insurances that we've been working with have been have have not had any issues. So, well, great, thank you. Um, and we have a listener question uh, while we're still on the topic of treatments. Any tips for people who get anxious before getting an injection? Which seems to me like a, no, a reasonable I mean, a, reasonable concern. Yeah. <laughs> it is completely reasonable. The worst thing. For for me as a physician is you know for whatever reason you know the patient wants to come back for the injection because there's so much anxiety that will happen they'll lose sleep over thinking about an injection when in reality um, you know with with proper technique and our numbing med you know numbing protocols it, it's it's really not worse than just having your blood drawn so. Um, some tips about who, uh, if you're anxious, is you know mention it to your to your physician that the, this is how you're feeling. What in particular is is the concern? Have you if you've had an injection and you feel like you know it's been painful or you feel like you've had a lot of irritation? It is always helps me to know what's been the problem or if there has been anything that's making the situation worse for you because. Maybe it's as simple as you know giving you a little bit more time for the numbing to to um, work for you. So it, the communication is so important to just mention it. I think all of us as 
as the retina specialists expect that there's some degree of anxiety with an injection to your eye and and my first you know for somebody who's never had an injection it's always that you know you'll leave and you'll say oh was that it you know because in your mind you can't help but think of the worst case scenario but if you do get frequent injections and you still continue to get anxious about it and if there is something in particular that you know that has that you're experiencing with it i, I would definitely encourage you to open that dialogue and and mention what what you are anxious about to see if there's anything that um, we can do on our end to make that a little bit better. That's great advice to have that that open line of communication. And we have a few questions, Dr. Riley, about uh, sort of moving forward, sort of living with AMD. And uh, several people have a very, uh, you know, kind of core question of what can they do to help retain their vision? So macular degeneration is, is tricky. Um, you know, we're, the part of the name does imply that it is a degenerative condition. Um, however, it's so variable. Um, you know, some patients can can maintain excellent 2020 vision for the rest of their life with macular degeneration, both the wet and the dry form. Other patients can have a more severe form of the disease and are not able to, to see as well with both forms of the disease. So the best thing to do about retaining your vision is understanding what, you know, how your macular degeneration is in your eye because there's so much variety. And and the, the worst thing for, for me is to have a different expectation than my patient. So, you know, I'm always it always is humbling for me when a patient just out of the blue is worried about them going blind when I, that is the farthest from my mind because I think they have such a, you know, small chance of, of losing vision, but clearly, you know, we're not on the same page and, and, and it's kind of humbling to think that, oh gosh, this patient's losing sleep because they are worried that they're losing vision. Whereas I have almost no concern of that. So I think the best thing to do is really understand the level and severity of the disease for you. Um, again, by just you know talking talking with your physician, and then um, you know see if there's anything that they recommend. Um, whether it's we've talked about talked about this in other um, bright focus chats about uh, the vitamins for macular degeneration, about um, monitoring at home with uh, an Amsler grid. Um, you know, things that we can potentially do to to bridge the time in between follow-up appointments. Well, that's great. You mentioned a couple uh, uh, things in, in that answer that we'll, we'll um, you know, uh, go and get a little more detail about. I guess, first, an Amsler grid. Can you tell us, like, what it is and how do people use it and why it's important? Sure. So an Amsler grid is it's basically a um, piece of graph paper that we've, you know, seen all our lives. And um, within the graph paper, right in the center, there's a, a black circle. And basically how you use it is you hold it basically about 12 to 14 inches away from your eye, which is your standard reading distance. You close one eye. It's very important that you're testing each eye individually. Um, and you focus right on that center center black dot, and what you expect to see is everything looking like a nice ninety degree perpendicular or perpendicular lines with no 
wave to it, no distortion, um, and should just be a nice sharp line. And then you would do the same with your other eye, expecting it to look similarly. And if there was ever a change, um, depending on how frequent your doctor recommends that you check it, you know, if you're checking it, a lot of times, you know, we keep it on a on a refrigerator. So, you know, you're passing by getting getting a snack, you just test your eye real quickly. Um, if you ever see a change from your normal, that would be a sign that you should definitely alert your your uh, physician that something has changed. That's great. Uh, I guess the other point you mentioned in your, your kind of uh, overall answer a minute ago was the vitamins. And I know many people find that section of the pharmacy or the supermarket um, a little confusing and a little expensive. And uh, any, could you tell us sort of what, what the best vitamins somebody should should have uh, for vision health, particularly with AMD? So I always, again, um, would have you ask your physician first, do you need to take vitamins? So um, vitamins are supplements. So a lot of times if you're having a healthy diet, green leafy vegetables, um, that's, that can be enough for your eye health. However, if your physician feels like you would benefit from what we call eye vitamins, they are special vitamins that have a formula that's called the AREDS-2 formula, A-R-E-D-S-2, um, which contains the exact uh, vitamins that have been uh, recommended to help reduce the risk of progression in patients who already have macular degeneration um, to decrease the risk from going from what we call dry macular degeneration to wet macular degeneration. So there was a huge study, and there's actually been two versions of this study um, done by the National Eye Institute, looking at who who needs these vitamins. You know, if I don't have macular degeneration, do these vitamins help me? Or if I have really, really mild macular degeneration, do the vitamins help me? And um, in those two studies, the answer was no. So it wasn't really helpful in a prophylactic way. But if you already have what we call intermediate dry macular degeneration, those are the those are the patients that benefit the most with vitamins. And this formula you can get, as you mentioned, over over the counter. You don't need a prescription. And one of the common um, brand names of it that you might see at the grocery store is Preservision, and it has what what you'll see right under it. And, a formula that says AREDS-2 formula, and, and that's the specific um, formula that's been um, studied in the clinical trial to decrease that progression from from uh, dry to wet macular degeneration. Well, great. Another question we have about, you know, kind of the care, monitoring your, your eye health in between visits is um, what if you find you, you, your lighting, you know, your need for lighting changes? They find like you, you're starting to need brighter light to, to do things or maybe you're, you're picking up a glare that you didn't used to off of a magazine or does any of that, uh, is there significance in, in people noticing changes like that in between uh, visits to their eye doctor? That that is a significant because that's the portion of the fact that macular degeneration continues to progress as a degeneration. So 
even if you don't need any spe special treatment for macular degeneration, but you have the disease, that is something we see over time that most of the time needing you will need brighter light to see um, as well as you used to see you know five years ago. Um, in addition to brighter light, sometimes it helps to make things a larger print as well. And and that's the unfortunate portion of macular degeneration that we, we don't have good answers for. We also don't have good treatments for. So even if you're still seeing 2020, there there's a good chance that as you continue to live with macular degeneration, that you might find that need to see a little bit more light. And that would be, you know, a sign that the the degeneration is continuing to mm -hmm. progress. Um, so it is important to mention that on your follow-up visits mm -hmm. to make sure that that's not a su suggestion that something else is happening in the eye, mm -hmm. too. Well, great. It's a great point. I know you mentioned progression. Maybe this is a, a super broad brush question, but when your patients ask you how quickly or slowly uh, AMD progresses, uh, what, what's your sort of uh, general basis on answering something like that? That it really varies. Um, I hate to say it, and I, I would love to be more specific for um, a patient, but that's where I really encourage the follow-ups because, you know, it's not to push off the question, but when I have two, three years of data and, and you know, seeing the patient every six months over that time period, I have a much easier time to answer that question. I can say specifically for that patient, you know what, in the past two, three years, I haven't seen much progression at all. Um, it remains very stable. So my my concern for you is that it's probably not going to spread or, or, or progress that fast. Um, but for another patient, you know, six months can have a, a very different rate of progression. And so that's where the genetics of macular degeneration are come into play. We we have only the beginnings of understanding all of it now, and I certainly don't think we have a full grasp of it all, of it all but you can take, you know, 10 patients all having, quote, unquote, intermediate macular degeneration, and they can all have a completely different progression over five years. And we have some idea of things, you know, when we see certain criteria on our examination, we have some ideas of some higher risk characteristics and some lower risk characteristics to give a patient a little bit of a ballpark idea, mm -hmm. but um, it really helps to have you know, follow-up visits to, to kind of dial in for that specific patient. Mm -hmm. Great advice. And we have several questions today about cataracts, and I kind of want to take this in two directions. And basically, do cataracts cause AMD, or does AMD cause cataracts? And how do the, they interact in terms of possible treatments for AMD and surgery for cataracts? Like, how do the cataract world of cataracts and world of AMD overlap when so they are they're similar in that they're both age related um conditions as i mentioned really kind of early on we we know cataracts when the lens gets cloudier something that happens um as we get older macular degeneration again is also age related so a lot of patients have both um they have macular degeneration and they have cataracts and this is where a lot of um confusion sits because before we thought that um cataract surgery 
was something that we would uh, that that could make macular degeneration worse. But thankfully, with um, a lot more research and and a lot more information now and better techniques for cataract surgery, we we no longer feel that that is the case. So um, neither one causes the other. Um, the cataracts don't don't cause macular degeneration. Macular degeneration doesn't cause cataracts. They just tend to to run together in a in a specific patient and taking you know care of the cataracts with surgery does not increase your risk of um, either developing or worsening the macular degeneration uh, as well so what I usually recommend for patients is it helps to have an idea and a lot of times that cataract surgeons will will want an opinion you know it, it gets hard to know what's making the vision worse you know is it is it the cataracts is it the macular degeneration if will the removing the cataracts with surgery help or not so um the best thing is to again find out from for your eye um what what's causing your difficulty um some things that we know are more typical of cataracts like difficulty driving at nighttime or seeing uh, a lot of halos around bright lights, those are typical cataract symptoms. Um, but a lot of times if you have both, it, it's important to, to figure out um, what's what's worse, you know, what, what's really causing your symptoms. And if we can do something about the cataracts, will, will your vision improve and what your expectation is? Well, great. Thanks. Those are very helpful points. And I just want to do the kind of that same question structure about dry eye. Um, does dry eye cause AMD? Does AMD cause dry eye? To an outsider, dry eye sounds a lot like dry AMD in your eye. I was wondering, you know, what connections, uh, causalities are there, if any? So there's no, they have nothing to do with each other as well. So um, this is where the eye gets a little complicated, and a lot of times patients wonder how are there so many specialists for something as small as the eye. Um, dry eye impacts your cornea. Your cornea is the very, very front surface of your eye. Um, when we feel like something's in the eye, you might feel like it's scratchy or irritated or there's like a gritty, sandy feeling. Those are symptoms of dry eye, which can be improved almost immediately with putting a lubricating eye drop, um, something over the counter like refresh or blink or sustain eye drops. And you usually feel a pretty immediate benefit from those symptoms with uh with using an eye drop. Macular degeneration, we're impacting, that impacts your retina, which is the backside of the eye. So neither one typically is related to the other. And um, unfortunately, that's also why all of our treatments for macular degeneration involve an injection because we can't use eye drops to, to work on that portion of the eye. Mm -hmm. Well, great. Thank you. And kind of one last question kind of on that realm we got from a listener. Uh, wondering, uh, statin drugs, a lot of people uh, in the AMD uh, age bracket um, uh, take statin drugs. Is there anything that, that they need to, to know or be concerned about, uh, either in a good way or in a, or in a way of concern? So this is something that has been really researched um, a lot over the past few years for the reasons why you mentioned, because so many patients are are already on these medications. 
Um, It's been really disappointing for us to not give a better answer as to whether statins play a role. Initially, there was a study that suggested that perhaps um, using statin, um, there might have been a a small reduction in in the risk of going from dry to wet um, macular degeneration. And almost also they found a smaller or decrease in some of the the findings that we see with dry macular degeneration, but this hasn't really been reproducible. So in other trials looking at um, things similarly, they haven't been able to find that. So it, it's it's one of those things that we're still working on mm-hmm. to try to understand a little bit better because the reason why these things are kind of linked is because you may have heard of drusen, which are, are the findings of dry macular degeneration. A lot of the drusen can kind of have some components of of cholesterol in them, so um, it's it's still something we're investigating, still trying to have better answers to. But right now, it's not something that we would recommend as oh, you have macular degeneration, you should or should not be on a statin. So um, there's still a lot more information to come from that. Well, great. Thank you. Uh, we have time for a couple more questions. And uh, a few listeners are wondering, what can they, they obviously don't want their children and grandchildren to, to get AMD. Is there any advice that uh, that people can share with, with, their, uh, with their kids so they don't get AMD? Um, avoid smoking. So we know that macular degeneration and smoking are, are, are really, really don't go along well. So, um, that's the first thing I usually tell uh, parents is to definitely have as much avoidance of smoking as possible. The second thing is um, we know there's an increased risk in children, so having a healthy diet of green leafy vegetables, those are that have a lot of antioxidants that have been shown to be protective for your macula. It doesn't mean that it will prevent macular degeneration, but um, we do know that it's been supportive to at least keep your macula as as healthy as possible. Um, And then I recommend just being uh, monitored for it. So the more proactive we are, so I usually recommend children um, over the age of 50 to be evaluated for macular degeneration specifically, because, you know, a lot of your earlier questions, it just has to do with what our expectations are. Um, So, if we catch it early, we can at least have better guidance and, and better, um, you know, monitoring of the disease. So those are the three things I typically have um, to, to suggest is to have a healthy diet, green leafy vegetables, dietary omega-3s in the form of like seafood and fish is also very helpful, um, avoiding smoking, and then for, for monitoring to start um, over the age of 50. Great. Hey, kind of on that in that vein, uh, very broad question, is AMD genetic? And, you know, a lot of folks uh, see ads on TV for things like 23andMe and other testing. Like, is there, is, is there anything uh, that we should know or do kind of in the, in the genetic inherited uh, angle of all this? Yeah, so AMD is definitely genetic, but with everything that's genetic that we hear, it's complicated because, you know, even if you have um the the kind of higher risk um genes for macular degeneration you can take two twins 
and one would develop it and one doesn't. So there's also other factors that, that come into to play besides genetics. But um, a, a, the test like 23andMe does look at common variants that are associated with an increased risk of developing the condition. But again, I, I would sort of emphasize that it doesn't suggest that you will definitely have it. It doesn't tell you whether you're going to develop a severe form of it or not. So it's, it's really hard to know what to do with that information right now um, when it comes to genetics because there are definitely some higher risk genes that are implicated for macular degeneration, but we can't do anything prophylactically except for just monitoring. So in that respect, it's helpful. Um, so that knowledge is sort of is just there's so many other factors that can still impact um, for that particular person, whether they actually develop the disease or not. Great. Thank you. Uh, Dr. Riley, before we um, turn to some concluding remarks, I want to say thank you so much for being a, uh, a guest today and, and, um, and, you know, and, and, and over the years. And uh, the kind of concluding question I'd like you to address is going to see your eye doctor. I mean, these, these things can, you know, get a little overwhelming sometimes getting ready and getting there and in the whole process and experience. What what can we as patients best do to prepare and to and to have the, the, the visit go as well as possible? Do you sort of a you know big picture advice and guidance to, to help this uh, you know be a very positive, productive experience for, for both the doctor and the patient? Sure. So I would just first and foremost suggest ask questions. Um, you know, I, the, the worst thing for me is, again, not um, being on the same page as a patient and to make sure that you you have the time, you have the chance to ask the questions that you feel that you're concerned about. So if you are concerned about, you can ask a broad question. Do I have anything that can cause me to lose vision? Are you concerned about um, you know, conditions like cataracts, macular degeneration, glaucoma, you know, these are, these are all conditions that are easily confusable. Um, and patients can have all three things. They can have one thing, they can have none, none of them. So, um, I, I would just really encourage asking questions and, and don't, you know, be afraid to just ask something as blunt as, are you worried? Are you concerned about anything for me? Um, because, you know, I, I think sometimes I can speak for myself that I can take for granted that, you know, everything looks great from my perspective. I have very little concerns. But, you know, at, at the end of the day, the, the, the patient might have some concerns and they were more concerned about their their they're thinking that they might lose vision when I don't have those concerns. So I would just really encourage patients to to ask the questions that that are on your mind because um, it's always the most productive when when both you and the physician are on the same page. That's great. It's great advice for something as important as as vision health. I think really appreciate you sharing those those tips today about you know not only making a visit go well but all the the information you gave us about new treatments and. Uh, you know correlations with with other other conditions. Really appreciate that. And Dr. Riley, thank you so much. I think you've really helped uh, people uh, learn more and and be more be more comfortable with uh, with managing their vision health. Sure. Well, thanks for having me again. And um, if there are any additional questions, please don't re don't hesitate to reach out to me. Great. Well, thank you. So on behalf of uh, of our audience and, and Bright Focus Foundation, uh, this concludes today's Bright Focus chat and. 
Thank you very much for joining us today. Goodbye. The information provided in this recording is a public service of Bright Focus Foundation and is not intended to constitute medical advice. Please consult your physician for personalized medical, dietary, and or exercise advice. Any medications or supplements should only be taken under medical supervision. Bright Focus Foundation does not endorse any medical products or therapies.